0: You're listening to Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Bob Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Where was Jesus for the first 30 years of his life? I wondered that for decades. Yes. Where and what was he taught? And who were his teachers? Well, based on new information... Cold FROM THE HARD-TO-FIND VATICAN TEXTS, THEOSOPHICAL CLASSICS, LEGENDS, AND HERMETIC SYMBOLISM, TRICIA MCCANNON CONSTRUCTS A RADICAL NEW PICTURE OF JESUS AND HIS TIMES. SHE ASSERTS THAT JESUS SPENT AT LEAST SEVEN YEARS IN EGYPT, A NUMBER OF YEARS IN ENGLAND, AND VISITED BOTH INDIA AND TIBET BEFORE BEGINNING HIS PUBLIC MINISTRY IN PALESTINE. Now this is a wide-ranging examination of the direct links and similarities between Jesus' teachings and those of a variety of mystery religions and sects that were popular during his lifetime, including the Essenes, the Buddhists, and Druids. McCannon offers compelling evidence that places Jesus' life and mission firmly in the context of the profound spiritual teachings that came before him. Drawing on records from the Vatican, Tibet, India, and Egypt, along with Greek, Aramaic, and Pali texts, as well as oral traditions of Jesus's teachings, McCannon uncovers the real reason that he has remained such a powerful and pivotal figure in world consciousness for over two millennia. Tricia McCannon is a renowned clairvoyant teacher and mystical symbologist. She is the author of two books, Dialogues with the Angels and Jesus, the Explosive Story of the Lost Thirty Lost Years and the Ancient Mystery Religions. She has been a featured speaker at conferences in the U.S., England, and Europe and has appeared on radio and TV shows including Coast to Coast, A.M., Whitley Strieber's Dreamland, and the director of the Phoenix Fire Lodge Mystery School. She lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio, Tricia.
1: Oh, hi, Bob. What a pleasure it is to be with everybody on this beautiful day.
0: Well, I am pretty excited about talking about this book because it it unravels a lot of mysteries that we have been poking at for about 30 years, and 30...
1: it does indeed, and, you know, I think he, the life of Jesus is one of the greatest mysteries of, you know, really of the ages, and these last 2,000 years have been a lot of people who've really sought to understand it and to decode it, but as we know, in the New Testament there's a whole lot of open space, you know, we, we kind of only know, like, of the nativity and his birth, and then that whole incident when he's 12 years old and gets to go to the temple and. And then there's the big space, big, big. Yeah, big space. and then we have the, you know, the stories from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about when his ministry begins. And so, um, as you know, and I, want to, I wanted to mention to you, I know we're going to be primarily talking about Jesus, but um, I have to send you an updated bio because, as you may or may not remember, I had a a, a third book come out. Um, well, that was my next book. question. Coming out in the fall with one of your wonderful books and and your wife's book. So um, the third book is called The Return of the Divine Sophia, uh, Healing the Earth Through the Lost Wisdom Teachings of Jesus, Isis, and Mary Magdalene. So uh, that one has at least five chapters on Jesus' hidden teachings and so forth. So it's also very relevant to what we're doing today. And then the one that's coming out in... um, with Inner Traditions, which is your wife's publisher as well as mine, is a called uh, The Angelic Origins of the Soul, Discovering Your Divine uh, Purpose. And so, you know, they're all linked together because I definitely consider myself a mystical Christian.
0: Mm-hmm. And wow. I kind
1: of want to just put that out there right away because, you know, when we say a radical reinterpretation and so forth, you know, I think it's very important for people to understand that there are... So many people who have read this book the last two or three years since it's been out, and I get letters and emails and phone calls from people all the time, people who are like, "I never even liked Jesus. I never even got Jesus." And they read this book and they're like, "I love him. Mm-hmm. He's, he is yeah. great because you get him at an entirely different level that's not just sort of what the church has told us with religion, you know, with his, which is I think a little confusing. Because, you know, we've got the Old Testament, which seems to be a God of blame and vengeance and punishment and threats, And then we have the New Testament God, which is a God of love and forgiveness and wholeness and kindness. And, you know, the kingdom is within. And for a lot of people in the Judeo-Christian world, I think it's very difficult to kind of reconcile these two pictures. And uh, so I think that these two books about Jesus and then the Divine Sophia really address how to come to terms and reconcile what's going on with some of our religious literature and how to put it in the right context historically and to fill in the blanks along the way.
0: Well, you are an enormously busy person. Tell us where you've just been. What have you been up well, to? I
1: just came New York. I was up in New York speaking actually at the A.R.E. or the um, Association for it's the Edgar Casey Center basically. I think it's the Association for Research and Enlightenment. But you know their, their headquarters is in Virginia Beach and I was very honored to go up and speak in New York at the center. I did a whole program actually on Atlantis and all this um, amazing evidence that they're finding. In the last 200 years we've discovered over 500 lost or hidden cities many of them underwater, enormous pyramids, you know, off the coast of Okinawa, Japan, and Yogaguni, which was probably part of Lemuria, because, and whoever was living there, they were obviously giants, because the you'd have to be a giant to take the steps up up the pyramids that size. And, and then we kind of made our way over and looking at, of course, the island of Santorini or Thera, which is, you know, in the Mediterranean or the Aegean, And we made our way over to the coast of Spain and Portugal, taking a look at these pyramids that they found underwater near the Azores, which are just absolutely beautiful islands, and um, also ruins they found inside the Straits of Gibraltar. And, of course, we know from Plato that Atlantis was outside the Straits of Gibraltar. So these may be people that survived and moved inland and kind of tried to recreate their culture, but there's an incredible underwater park there that's, like temples with Athena and I mean just like what you'd imagine Atlantis would look like and then we went all the way over to the Bahamas and the Caribbean and Havana, Cuba where they found incredible ruins. So um, I'm going to be speaking on Atlantis actually in Los Angeles and Venice Beach and Irvine, California and then I'll probably be doing a tour around Atlantis and these lost civilizations up the west coast in Mount Shasta and um uh eugene and ashland and oregon portland oregon and seattle and vancouver and then i have this new book coming out along with your wife's wonderful book which looks fabulous by the way bob i mean the one about the mystical white animals
0: and oh the yes.
1: animals i want to read it and i want to i want to do a um you know if you'll have me i'll do a, a um a review for you because That looks like a great book. It is a
0: great book, and the fact that she can communicate and has been communicating with animals since she was a child uh, has made a a very big difference in the happiness in her life. Uh, Because in so many ways, um, animals can help heal us as we help them at the same time. Of course I'm really I'm really quite biased in this area because my wife is my mentor in this particular area. I had no idea about 40 years ago that dogs or any animal had the kind of consciousness they had. I it was it was really wonderful growing and learning that and uh, I I look forward to other people knowing and what she's learned and how she's been able to do things. Thank you. I'll let her know that right now.
1: Let me just say that I know that there's this really amazing thing that is happening on the planet and uh, where there are these white animals being born, white buffalo, white wolves, white... um, um, uh, Of course, we always have white rabbits and things like that, but there's a lot, like white llamas. There's a whole series of white animals that are being born. And, of course, in the Native American prophecy, this is linked to the fact that you know, humanity is at a crossroads, and we can either go down the path of selfishness and greed and exploitation and destroying the earth, or we can choose a higher path. You know, with uh, kindness, more um, forget the war stuff that we seem to be so addicted to, um, uh, with more unity consciousness, where we come up with um, uh, healthier energy systems that are not destroying our planet like fracking is, and all these gas and oil things that we seem to be so um, enmeshed in, uh, you know, as we can see that there seem to be really, you know, the the strong money people, a lot of them have been behind this old system, and it's very hard to allow it to transform, which is a shame. Um, so the, these white animals... I think are, are very much about giving us hope for the fact that we can make a different set of choices if we'll pay attention and honor uh, the opportunity that's being presented to us instead of going down this path of uh, desecration, basically. Yeah. So I'm sure that Zoe will speak a great deal more about it, uh, and I just, I'm just i really looking forward to hearing Well, that.
0: she'd be really interested in talking with you and sharing that information because obviously you have the same kind of information. Well, I think we're all been... on the
1: same page about yes. where we are, and it's a very critical time. And this is one of the reasons I think that understanding the deeper role of Jesus and also the deeper role of Mary Magdalene and um, uh, the Divine Feminine and bringing the feminine and masculine back into balance in the world is so critical. And, you know, again, along, and we're going to hopefully go down that path with our conversation, but along that lines, I want to mention your wonderful book, that last wonderful book that you wrote about Lady Liberty, which I had a, the pleasure of reading. It was excellent, by the way. Thank and you. And you not only dealt with grounded history and, and how the Statue of Liberty you know, uh, came to be, but also the deeper roots of this wisdom culture that had to do with the divine uh, I mean, feminine.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: so I know that's a subject you know a great deal about.
0: Well, you know, uh, my producer... Actually, did major, major work in this when I had to take over doing murals again, and kept getting in my life that I had to finish. She came in and and made sure uh, that uh, that you see that bibliography we have seventeen pages of it. Uh, oh my gosh, is, it, it, we
1: are two after the same, you know, on the same page. I, my, I have a hundred pages of footnotes, bibliographies, and glossaries, that's, and my. <laughs> And, of course, when you're reading it, you don't feel like it's dense, just like with your book. You feel like it's totally readable, it's fun to read, you know, you can't wait to get to the next chapter. But you can see the depth and breadth of the research in both of our books because we're willing to um, do the research and do the work. And to me, I look at it like a, a trail of breadcrumbs that we have left so that if people really want to know more um, I mean, we've given them, you know, this enormous body of information, but if they're like, I don't know, that's not what I was taught in Sunday school, they can actually go back and check it out for themselves, Yeah, and I think that's yeah. very valuable.
0: Well, thank you, obviously, I think that that's, uh, we're on the same page and have been for a long time. Uh, you know, throughout your book, you, oh, we've got to take a break, I'm getting, a, we're going to take a break here with our um, the Trisha McCannon. And the book we're going to discuss this evening is Jesus, the explosive story of the 30 lost years and the ancient mystery religions. Now, let me tell you, this this is a multiple genius that's put this together. And that's one of the reasons why it goes, well, so deep And, and uses quality references which really make the difference as far as I'm concerned about believability. We'll be back with our guest in just a few minutes.
1: This is Elaine Pagels, author of the Gnostic Gospels and also of a new book called Revelations Visions, Prophecy, and Politics in the Book of Revelation. I'm a professor of religion at Princeton University, and you are listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hirano.
0: You can visit Tricia's website for more info on her books and readings and talks. That's Trisha McCannon, MCC a n n o n dot com McCannon dot com. Well, Trisha, throughout your book, you frequently write that you never intended to write this book, but you ended up writing it anyway. Why?
1: That is such a great question, Bob. Yeah, you know, I um I live in Atlanta, and I grew up here in the Deep South, and um maybe like a lot of people who are listening to this, there were certain things that I. I heard that it didn't make sense to me. My dad was Baptist, so it was hellfire, brimstone, and damnation. And then my mom was Methodist. And then we wound up, you know, going around to other churches trying to fit some, find a better fit for us and uh, something that wasn't so angry, basically, and fearful and scary. And we went to Presbyterian and Lutheran, went a bunch of churches, and they're all cool in different ways. But we settled on an Episcopalian church, and I was confirmed there when I was 13. And, you know, I definitely grew up in the, in the church, and I loved Episcopalian. I consider it like Catholic light. You know, you got all the cool stuff like the incense yeah, and the yeah. ceremony, but without the guilt and the shame and so forth. And so, um, I, you know, I had always thought Jesus was wonderful, but my older sister became a fundamentalist, and she married a fundamentalist preacher. So in the name of Jesus, I saw a lot of things being done just at the family level that were really off, and, you know, judgment and blame and punishment and beating and whipping and all with Jesus' name attached to it. And so I really basically kind of had had it. It's like, you know, I've had it crammed down my throat to the point that it was like I really just – Forget it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sure. this is how it's going to look in religion. There's something wrong with this picture. It doesn't somehow the the this kind of judgment abuse that I saw associated with many religions, not just fundamentalist Christianity. You see it in the Muslim religion. You've seen it in some things in the Jewish religion. It didn't work for me. And so I didn't, The last thing I ever intended to do was write a book on Jesus. But what happened for me was, I um, went, you know, went to college, Florida State University, and you know, then came out and became a commercial photographer. But as you know, I'm, I'm a clairvoyant, and I had seen angels since the time I was a little girl. I had been speaking with masters when I was 19 years old. I had a group of masters called the Viragi appear to me and began to. Um, they had a, a map. all the multidimensional levels of reality. They um, taught the ancient science of soul travel, which is the ability every one of us have to shift our consciousness to where we're able to travel beyond our physical body while we're still alive in the physical world into these higher realms and regions so we don't have to just, you know, wait to find out when we die. And so, you know, I really had gone on to study Egyptian mysteries, Celtic mysteries, Native American mysteries, uh, the goddess, the ancient goddess teachings. I mean, many traditions. And I really saw how they all work together, from the Druids to the Essenes and so forth. Um, and so I was writing a book really about the mysteries. And um, I had put into the book three little chapters on Jesus, because I happen to think Jesus is very important. I love his message, you know, uh, that love is the answer and forgiveness is the key and the, the, you know, kingdom of heavens within, and judge not least she be judged. And so, you know, I, um, we reap what we sow. I mean, so many things she said really resonated with me. And so before I knew it, I had 200 pages inside of what was now a 600-page book, which you know the publishers aren't going to like a 600-page book. No, they don't. That For them, that's three 200-page books. Yeah. So I thought, what am I going to do? I just don't know. So I decided I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take out the section on Jesus, and that's going to solve my space problem. So um, it was the week after Christmas. Everything was very quiet, you know, that kind of like deep cave time we go into after everyone has run around in the flurry of Christmas and holidays. And so I was laying on the floor of my office. I had just made that decision, and I had my hand over my eyes, and I became aware of this bright light shining down on me, and I moved my arm, and there, standing in the room with me, not twelve feet away, was Jesus in his golden light body, and he was about—I'd say about six six one. He was uh, he had, you know, that kind of the wavy hair to the shoulder, like you expect. He had the gray blue eyes. Uh, he was radiant, and his energy just pierced my heart, like to. I mean, his presence is so strong, it just totally expands your heart. And without any preamble, he said, I want you to write a book about my lost years and secret teachings. There has been enough war and bloodshed in my name. And I tell you, Bob, it was like an arrow pierced my heart. And I I was just so in amazement when I could even gather my thoughts, I I think I thought, well, you know, well, can I finish this other book because I'm running out of money? I mean, <laughs> everybody we was so mundane and human. I know. And he smiled and he waved his hand and he said, don't worry, it'll just take a moment. I'll open every door. And, um, you know, of course, it took three years. I wound up remortgaging my house twice to pay my bills. But I guess in the mind of God, three years is not even a blink of an eye and, um, in fact, he did open every door. I wound up with a wonderful agent and a wonderful publisher. And um, it was quite a journey. It really did take three years. And because I'm a, um, you know, com- I was a commercial photographer and I'm a clairvoyant, I process everything visually. And as a clairvoyant, when I read for people's soul records on the time track, I see everything like a movie. And so I wound up putting together a profound series of um Um, dvd powerpoint presentations on the egyptian mysteries the jewish mysteries and the christian mysteries and i started the book six months later and from that point on there was miracle after miracle i had people who would show up at my house with hidden text that joseph of arimathea had brought to england in 37 a.d when he set up the very first you know christian community i had books materialized on my shelf I had uh, this missionary who came to see me who brought me some of his secret books that he had spent a lifetime. He and his father were both missionaries collecting. Now, I had had been to the Vatican. I wound up um, getting access to some of the hidden teachings within the Vatican that most people don't know about. It was an extraordinary journey, and Jesus was in my house really day and night. Um, About three months into working on this book, I had these friends come and visit me, is was probably the end of August, and I had started in the beginning of June, and they brought this little five-year-old girl with them, a Mayan girl that they had adopted, they had been living in Central America, they were from L.A. originally, and um, they stayed in my house, and she slept in the bed, the guest room, and I had been sleeping in the guest room because it was about, you know, 10 feet from my computer, it was um, like one of those Jack and Jill two ba- bedrooms with a bathroom in between, and they were waking me up at all times of the day and night. And um, so she, of course, we didn't, even get, we didn't even talk about what I was doing because my friend was a radio announcer and he had a lot of other cool stuff going on with him. So the next morning we went to go to breakfast and um, um, I had given this, gotten this beautiful little teddy bear for this little girl and I gave her the, uh, the bear and I said, now you can name this bear anything you want. And she said, Issa. And oh. I said, oh, you mean Alyssa you know, thinking, you know, I mean, didn't compute. She shook her head. She said, no, Issa. I said, you mean Eliza, Elizabeth. And she shook her head. She said, no, Issa. Well, Issa is the name Jesus called himself Mm -hmm. when he went to all these different lands. That's why the Egyptian Christian church, a Coptic church of Issa. In India, he was known as Issa. In the Druid lands, he was uh, known as Issa. In Ireland and England and Scotland, Issa, Lord Issa. And he had come to visit... Me, obviously, that night, as he had every night, to download what he wanted me to do with his book. And the little girl was in the room, and she was psychic enough to have picked up on his presence. And that's why she wanted to name this bear Issa. And Uh so the whole process of writing, it was miraculous. Um, You know, I I travel and teach and speak everywhere, you know, in Europe and in America. And um, I couldn't leave my house. I was like handcuffed by spirit to the computer in the process of writing this book. And as you know, it has over 100 illustrations, over 1,200 footnotes. And, you know, it's, um, it's a tour de force of the great spiritual mysteries and where he traveled and what they taught and how what they taught is also reflected in his teachings. And then because he had asked me to write a book about his lost years and secret teachings, although there's some secret teachings in the Jesus book, of course. Uh, I had about 200 pages I had to pull out of that book. And so that 200 pages wound up in the book, uh, The Return of the Divine Sophia, which was the next book that I wrote, uh, Healing the Earth Through the uh, Lost Wisdom Teachings of Jesus, Isis, and Mary Magdalene, where we began to take a look at how Jesus understood that the masculine and feminine had gotten out of balance in the world and how important it was to bring it back into balance. So he called God the Abba, Father, Amma, God, the Father-Mother God, or the Mother-Father God. And he said that there's a divine Father-Mother, and there's also a divine daughter and son, and that periodically they come to earth to help humanity, even as I and Mary Magdalene have come to earth. Now, he also said that he cannot return until the Divine Feminine is re-enthroned in the world. Oh, my. So, of course, those people who, the patriarchy who's in power, you know, I think that they, they want to hold on to their power. So it behooved them to basically, you know, minimize Mary Magdalene's role, turn her into a prostitute, which she certainly was not. She was actually put in charge of the inner teachings of the church, the Christian church, where Peter was put in charge of the outer teachings. And this is, of course, how all the great mystery schools were across the world. There was an exoteric or outer um, school that taught moral principles like the Ten Commandments. And then there was an inner school that really taught the inner spiritual connection. So Peter was the outer, you know, the rock. And Mary Magdalene, or Mary the Magdala, Mary the Great, was the... Uh, meant to teach the inner. And actually, this is one of the things that I discovered through my research was that for many years after the crucifixion, after Joseph of Arimathea and Mary Magdalene, Mary and Mary Jacobi, Mary the Mother, and some of the disciples fled to the south of France and then made their way finally up to Britain and settled in Britain, although some were left, like Lazarus in, in France as the first bishop, I think, of the church. Um, I discovered that Every three years there were conclaves on the Isle of Cyprus where Mary Magdalene would come and teach and Christians from all around in that area would come for like two weeks. And she would teach in the morning and then it would be open for discussion and understanding and people to, you know, put in what their thoughts were in the course of the afternoon. And, of course, we've lost all this in our human history. And the early Gnostics believed that Mary Magdalene was actually an incarnation of the divine Sophia or the divine um, um, mother-daughter principle, and she had over 250 of her own wisdom sayings that they collected that are just as profound as what Jesus had to say, and totally in line with what Jesus had to say. So, um, you know, it's it was it's been quite a journey to be in the energy of these beings because not only were all these masters coming to see me during those three years, but then when I began to work on the Sophia book, um, I had all these aspects of the divine feminine coming in. And as you know, I'm an artist, and um, you know, I did about 100 illustrations for each one of these books. And as I would draw, the, the presences of those divine aspects of the divine father or mother or daughter or son would come and kind of work through my hand while I was in the process of drawing, you know, for four or six hours, and then they would move off. And I'm sure they improved the drawing, because even though I was an art major in college, I, I, you know, I kind of went to photography and video and production, so I was a little rusty. And um, I'm sure they really helped to inspire that work. So, you know, it's so interesting how these beings are still um, alive in the spirit world. And how we can interact with them if we're our our heart is pure and our consciousness is pure.
0: Well, boy, way to go! That really condensed an enormous amount of knowledge and information uh, in, in just a matter of ten minutes. That was really great. Now we got to take a break here. Uh, when we return, uh, well, as you said, we lost his, his teachings, the teachings because. Well, you didn't note this, but you noted in the book they were purposely destroyed. It's not that it's not that people were lazy and couldn't find them and stuck them somewhere and then couldn't remember where, but <laughs> <laughs> but they were destroyed intentionally.
1: You're so cute. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They they did everything they could. They literally sent out uh, teams to destroy them. And correct. Unfortunately, you know, from the Nakamadi text and the Dead Sea Scrolls. 1945 and 1947. That's when they were discovered. We have we have some of that that has been preserved by the Essenes. Thank goodness. So uh, I know you need to go to a break. So yeah, to you on talking on the other side.
0: Well, when we come back, I'm going to ask you about this. Is one of the other great pluses about your book the information on the ancient mysteries and the great White Brotherhood? Now, this is really key as far as I'm concerned. Most people ignore it, and that oh, that's a big mistake. We'll be back with our guest, Trisha McCannon. Jesus, the explosive story of the 30 lost years and the ancient mystery religions, Hampton Roads Publishing. In 2010, visit Trisha's website for more information on her books and readings and talks. Tricia McCannon, M-C-C-A-N-N-O-N.com. Hello, I'm Michael Bastine co-author of Iroquois
1: Supernatural, and you are listening to 21st Century Radio
0: with Dr. Bob Peronimus. Thank you so much for this opportunity, and we hope you enjoy all the work that we're doing for the people. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio with our guest Tricia McCannon. Of course, I knew you knew the name of this book, right? The Explosive Story of the 30 Lost Years and the Ancient Mystery Religions, Hampton Roads. Well, you know, um, I know that my listeners know this. I, at one time, was going to become a priest. I was very serious about it. Then I discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then I discovered <laughs> the Gnostic teachings. And I realized somebody forgot a lot of history. <laughs> and, of course, it wasn't forgotten. It was just wiped out. And so were the, so many of the people that were involved in it. Um, let's see. The most, well, Tricia... Who is or are the Great White Brotherhood, and how are they connected and related to Jesus?
1: Uh, Well, you know, we all know the story of the three magi that came to visit him at his birth. And, of course, the term magi comes from the words magician. You know, and we think magicians, you know, are, you know, for during the fundamentalist Christian era, we thought magicians were bad. But yet... Here are these three, you know, kings or three magi. Whether they were kings of countries or they were kings, spiritual kings, you know, masters. Basically, they came to honor him, and we know they were astrologers because and astronomers because they were following um, some star, the star of Bethlehem. Now, whether that was a UFO, whether that was a astrological conjunction, I talk about at great length in my book. You and, sure do. Um, I take a look at all the options, you know. And, but we do know that um, there were actually independent reports of it. There's uh, a report from Bethlehem from uh, the, the rabbi of that town who basically <clears throat> said that it was like, you know, this bright light came and shone down around the whole town, and it was like, um, you know, like a big full moon but even brighter. And uh, they thought that the gods were coming back. I mean, everyone was trying to figure out what was happening and, of course, that was the same kind of experience that the shepherds had, too, except that they were hearing this incredible celestial music coming down at the same time. So um, um, what was your question? I'm sorry, I've, like, gone down this whole Bethlehem path. Well, you know, we're like, at the
0: uh, well, the Great White Brother. Oh, yeah, the
1: Great White Brotherhood. Yes, the Magi. So, yeah, so the Great White Brotherhood um, is actually a group of spiritual masters, that are both on this planet and off this planet who are beings that have achieved enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment and oneness, and really wish uh, to help humanity to move towards this enlightenment for each and every one of us. And um, so, you know, they are people who have uh, come down and gone through the same kind of suffering that many of us do. They've gone through hundreds of lifetimes like many of us have gone through, and eventually achieved a level of high consciousness oneness with the divine. And they set up um, these great mystery schools that we know were going for at least 4,000 years before Jesus and over 400 years after Jesus, including some of the ones we know of in the Greek traditions, like Pythagoras' school and... Plato's school, Aristotle, and then the Neoplatonist that, you know, all this is very well known in history. And, of course, the Neoplatonist schools combined the Christian wisdom and the teachings of Jesus with a lot of the uh, wisdom that had come before uh, in, a, in a beautiful marriage where they showed how Jesus was working within the laws of the universe and that, you know, it, it wasn't charlatan tree, it was actually... Um, the fact that his consciousness was at such a high level that he could actually command the elements and so forth. And so all this, of course, was disbanded and destroyed by uh, Constantine, by um, uh, Theodosius uh, around the Theodosian decrees came out around 394-something A.D., uh, or after, after uh, Jesus, or we can call it CE for Common Era, however we want to refer to it. So, the the Great White Brotherhood had chapters all around the world. The Essenes were one of their chapters, and of course, we know that Jesus studied with the Essenes from about the age of eight to about the age of thirteen, when he had been by Mitzvah. He was actually stationed in Mount Carmel, and that was up uh, in Galilee. Galilee was in the northern part of Israel, and uh, Jerusalem is in the southern part, and Mount Carmel. There was a school there, and that's the school that John the Baptist went to. It's the school Jesus went to. And uh, there was a cave there called the Cave of Elijah, and that was the cave that Elijah had gone in to have his visions and so forth in the Old Testament. So it was a very, you know, um, time-honored place, a holy place, so to speak. And this is where the the Essenes um, had their school. And, of course, they had nine separate centers. Um, and most of us don't know where those centers were. Mount Carmel was one. But they, they worked, you know, in the Trinity. So the Trinity cubed is nine specific centers. And so Mary, the mother, and Joseph, the father, the Essenes, they were all Essenes. Joseph of Arimathea was an Essene. Um, he was wealthy. He was a um, a tin merchant. And he had about five ships, and he went back and forth up to Britain, to the Castorati Mountains to mine tin. And tin was extremely important to the Romans because it was used in the making of bronze weapons. So without the tin, they couldn't combine the, the metals to make the um, the, the uh, swords that they used in battle. Mm-hmm. So Joseph of Arimathea actually had been given the honorary title of a decurion, which is a very high title within the Roman Empire, and um, it's because of his importance. And he was you know, wealthy. He was able to afford Jesus uh, and Mary, his mother, the opportunity. You know, after, after, When they were little, they fled to Egypt. We all know this from the Bible. But then they came back after Herod, uh, the quote, the great, died when Jesus was about seven, and he, uh, Joseph settled in uh, Galilee, and Jesus and Mary went with Joseph of Arimathea up to the Celtic lands where he met the Druids for the first time, and they weathered uh, over a whole season, a winter, fall and winter there, and then they came back in the spring. We have, you know, historical reports of this. And then, of course, he was with the Essenes from 8 to about probably 13. We know he bought Mitzvah at 12. That's what that whole journey down to test the young men was that we read about in the Bible. And then, of course, you know, he vanishes. But what happened then was he went up to the Celtic lands again, and he was with them for a year or two, but he was so advanced that they said send him on to India because um, he he was already, you know, such an enlightened being. Um, And the Celts were another um, chapter of the Great White Brotherhood, and so were the uh, Persians, where the Magi had come from, so were the Indians, the East Indians, the... um, let's say, the Hindus and the Buddhists. So he trained with the Buddhists. He graduated from there about 19 or 20. He began teaching his own things. And um, uh, he very quickly collected, you know, 3,000, 5,000 people who showed up to hear him speak. And, um, and this, of course, threatened the caste system. There was a very strong caste system in India at the time. And the Brahmins held the, the reins of all the spiritual books those were passed down generationally. And then, you know, the, the royalty, they got to hear the religious readings. The military got to hear it sometimes. The nobles got to hear it sometimes at certain, you know, occasions. Uh, but, like, the peasants and the farmers never got to hear, and especially the untouchables, they never got to hear spiritual uh, wisdom. Because, of course, if they couldn't spiritually evolve then, you know, they would continue to reincarnate in the same cycle and continue to be, you know, the lower-class citizens. Yeah. And the higher class wanted to maintain their position. So, again, it was, you know, politics. And so I found um, I two reports of um, assassins being sent to kill Jesus because they, you know, he he was teaching everybody, very democratic. Yeah. You know, he looked at every. Soul is worthy, and um, this of course threatened the status quo. So um, there are two reports: one that the farmers and the peasants warned him, and one that the Magi reappeared and, um, like soul travel, and, and warned him. And so he fled to Rajagira, and Rajagira is um, was a Buddhist um, community, and he lived there for six years, and he learned to speak and write and read the language of Pali. P A l I and he was accepted by the Buddhist as the second Buddha that the first Buddha had predicted would come five hundred years five hundred years after him mm-hmm. Buddha had predicted that a perfectly realized being would come five hundred years after me and um, he could have just Jesus could have just stayed there he didn't have to leave and come back but he was very aware that he had a mission and so he chose to come back and then. I had um, a, a track him through the um, Tower Pass along the Silk Road where he, uh, the Magi uh, led him and met him, and he was trained in the Persian mysteries. And most of us don't know anything about these great mystery schools, but there was a, um, a, a group called the Sarmong Society, and this is a society that we only hear about in more modern times through the writings of Gurgias. But the, the Sarmong Society had a a deep and powerful knowledge of the stars and the cycles of time, the cycles and the ages of human evolution and human consciousness. And they believed that um, they had discovered the existence of a being so powerful, basically a son son of God, so powerful that he could insert himself into... um, any age that he wished and he usually would appear between the change of the ages so in other words between the age of Aries and the age of Pisces which is when Jesus came or between the age of Gemini and Taurus which is when Mithra came or now we're at the end of the age of Pisces the beginning of the age of Aquarius so now or in the next 20 years or 50 years or 100 years you know, it, it, this being would be due to return. So they had been waiting on uh, this being's return, and Jesus was recognized as that being. He was called the, the Saroshant. That's the, the term that they use for this being. And um, he was also known as the Aeon, A A-I-O-N, who comes at the beginning of each eon, or 2160-year cycle. So... Um, These are all examples of the great spiritual mystery schools that had been set up thousands of years before by the great master Thoth. And, of course, Thoth was the god of wisdom in ancient Egypt. And um, Jesus, of course, was trained in these schools. And then, of course, he came back to Galilee when he was about 27. I have some reports of him there visiting Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who were like his best friends.
0: With that, we must pause at the top of the hour and we'll return next hour with our guest Tricia McCannon, Jesus the explosive story of the 30 lost years in the ancient mystery religions Hampton Roads Publishing 2010 you can visit her website at Tricia M-C-C A-N-N-O-N dot com Brother Ziggy will be returning to 21st Century Radio. Yes, he'll be joining us. And there's a lot of wonderful things we need to touch with on with him. He has a book on cooking, a cookbook. He's one of the great cooks. This is amazing. It's wonderful. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio with our guest, Tricia McCannon. Jesus, the explosive story of the 30 lost years. Haven't you wondered about what happened during those 30 years? It always puzzled me. I just had I had to know sooner or later and I'm glad I found someone who can confirm what many people have suggested but have never been able to confirm to my expectations cuz I'm a Virgo and that gives that's a problem it it really is cuz you want to get things right the first time and when you make mistakes you well yeah, I don't like myself when I do that but uh, anyway uh, we'll be, we're will be. we back with our guest, Tricia McCannon, and I want to point out one more important thing here. I'm holding up this book to the microphone. Those of you who've been listening to us for almost 30 years, some of you have been able to train yourself to read something over a, a, a microphone. That's correct. So I'm holding up page three of this extraordinary work, and it deals with the Wisdom Orders, and the Mystery Schools, and uh, there are twelve of them, and I'm so this is exciting to me because I, I I knew many of them, but she's added on things here that that I I'm that were missing from from my analysis mainly because I had fourteen hundred other things to do at the time. So I, I I certainly want to thank you for this wonder. Who did the drawing here of the heart of Christ?
1: Are you talking to me, Bob?
0: Yep. Who 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 did this drawing of the heart of Christ? Page three of chapter one of the Wisdom Orders.
1: I did that.
0: That's extraordinary.
1: I did that. It was.
0: This is a great teaching tool, right here. You know.
1: Yes. Thank you. It's yes. There's a there's. wheel of uh i have one of the outer orders and the inner orders and i think the inner orders didn't make it into the book although there's obviously of these quote outer orders there are obviously deep and profound beautiful teachings uh from all over the world they have an inner aspect but there's sort of a there was a wheel that i teach in my mystery school as you may or may not know i've been teaching the great spiritual mysteries for many years and i've had a a mystery school called the Phoenix Fire Lodge, the Order of the Eagle and the Dove, for 12 years. And for many years, I just taught here in Atlanta in person. In fact, I had um, people coming from all over the southeast and even people flying in from San Francisco and Santa Fe. But, -hmm. you know, the classes, there were 12 classes, and they'd be about every five weeks. So as you can imagine, that's a little pricey for some people to fly in all the time. So for years, I had people asking me, "Do you have, you know, an online class?" And I had to say, "No, sorry, I don't." And so finally, about three years ago, I got the first twelve discourses uh, up online, so people anywhere, and I have students in, you know, Belgium and Germany and Canada, across the U.S., uh, even uh, in Dubois. I'm not kidding. And you can order them, and they're uh, ninety-nine dollars a piece, which is really reasonable. Or you can actually order, like, the first three for, you know, two twenty five, so it saves you $75. And they're each, probably the, sh- the shortest one's 100 pages. Most of them are 130, 150, even 180 pages. And they're, um, of course, all sorts of gorgeous, beautiful drawings, processes, uh, knowledge, information on everything from the mystery schools to hermetics to the 14 different kinds of dreams, soul travel, astral travel, um, the tree of life, uh, the, 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 the path of the return, Native American twisted hair tish teachings about the mineral and the crystal kingdoms and the plant kingdoms and the animal kingdoms and shamanism and psychic self-protection. And so it's always best to start at the beginning. I've had people you know ask me if they can jump around. Certainly each one stands alone, but it's much wiser to start at the beginning. It doesn't take that long. And what happens is, you know, you can order them online at my website, go to the part that says Mysteries at the top, and then there are all these drop-downs. So for the online classes, each class has its own page with a excerpt and a table of contents. You can really get a feel for each one of the discourses. And then at the bottom of the page, you can either order it separately or you can order it as part of a set of three. And um, then I get to order in, and I send them individually as a, a separate email. And they're a PDF, so you just click on it. opens up just like a book. It's really just like a book. And you. I always tell people just print it off, put it in a three-ring notebook. That way you can write in it, you can take notes, you can highlight the things that you want to and study it, you know, take it to lunch with you. And, you know, I, I let couples, if you're living under the same roof, they can study a discourse at the together for no extra money. That's fine, um, you know, whether you're married or um, married in your heart is fine, and um, so the first twelve are up, and uh, the second level of the mysteries really is all Egyptian. Although there's Egyptian that's woven all through the first level, along with Christian and Celtic and Native American and, and many source Buddhist. You know, I mean, really, the higher you go in consciousness, the more you see that it's a universal conversation. The masters aren't arguing with one another. It's just when we're down here stuck in dogma or kind of a smaller, more limited view that's mere, more territorial or fear-based. And, of course, that's what we're raised in. So there are many good people who have good hearts, they truly love God, and they are seeking, um, you know, the divine. But they're, they, they've been conditioned to believe it had to be access through only one religion Mm -hmm. but the truth is as i said there's the exoteric path and the esoteric and the exoteric is full of rules and regulations and dogma and guilt and blame and shame not just in christianity but in many religions and then the esoteric is where you're really able to make that um, connection with the divine and you begin to realize that masters are teachers they're people like us that are further on the path uh, uh, even divinities. You know, divinities are beings that are even further on the path than the masters. They're they're holding um, a larger piece, if you will, of God consciousness. They, you know, any true divinities, they're not really interested in being worshipped um, or they're interested in helping us. They're interested in helping us awaken to our own connection with the divine. Mm-hmm. So we can realize that You know, the divine is in everything, in everyone. It's in, you know, the squirrel that's running up the tree, and it's in the tree. It's in, you know, uh, humans, it's in animals, it's in plants. I, I think sometimes think of ourselves as like fish swimming around in water going, I don't see any evidence of any water. Do you see any evidence? Nah, I haven't seen water. I hear there's something called water. We're so much in the body of God, we don't even realize that we are the fish in the big goldfish pond, which is the universe, and that the entire universe is made of God's stuff. And, you know, there are different um, beings that have called it different things. The adamantine particles of love is one of my favorites, that everything is vibrating in love. So the more we can vibrate in that love, the more the universe responds to us,
0: mm-hmm. the more we
1: attract That's that right. to ourselves. So when, you know, Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourself and that love is the key, what he's really talking about, he's giving us the fundamental vibrational um, frequency of the universal mind. And it's through aligning with the universal heart and spirit and vibration and mind that we're able to begin to manifest our reality. We're able to begin to um, attract to us things that are in line with our divine purpose. Our Divine Plan, which is part of what my my next book uh, begins to talk about, the nature of the soul and the journey we all take and how, what we're doing down here, what the course curriculum is. And, you know, I really wish that when we came out of our mom's womb, there was a little handbook that said, (laughs) you are here. Okay. (laughs) Yes, I agree. This is your past soul history, okay? And you chose to come into this life for this reason. But, you know, most of us are born with amnesia (laughs) or if (laughs) we don't have it when we're, you know, a lot of people don't have it when they're six. But by the time they get to be seven or eight and, you know, the cognitive mind kicks in and the parents are doing the best they can to help the the soul to assimilate, you know, learn your ABCs, go to school, obey the rules. You know, after a while, all that deeper spiritual connection that we come in with many times just kind of gets left in the dust
0: it sure does Yeah, sure. Uh, you, you know um, I, I hesitate to, to, to move in another direction here because all I've been thinking about is the joy it's going to, not all, but the joy it's going to be for me to hand uh, Ziggy Marley this book on Jesus because
1: oh my gosh, I loved his song it sounded
0: really cool yeah yeah well he's very cool right uh and uh, he's you know it's really um, we we have a relationship that goes back to about 30 years uh but you know he he has great thirst for knowledge great thirst um uh, for for love and and acting in love in that aspect of it and i have enormous respect for him and so we're looking forward to in a couple of weeks to be able to say, uh, as usual, when we say goodbye to him, we, we read all the stuff that give him the stuff that he, he shares with his his family, not just his physical family, but his, and all the musicians in his group. We give out libraries of books to 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 many the to the Hendricks families and, and and other families because they don't know where to look. To find a lot of this information, so you made it a lot easier for us, especially in trying to explain all the mystery schools. Because people that get involved in well, all these mystery are are they in fighting with each other or something? I mean, they act they act as if other people that dislike this material uh, this, to say that you know that all of them are wrong, and yet they all work seem to work together on a much higher level. Uh, And that's one of the great values of just this one page. Oh, well, I'm sorry, I better stop. I'm stopping. No,
1: no, really. I mean, just a little bit I heard of that song is totally magical and wonderful. And, of course, Bob Marley was wonderful. I imagine this is his son, right?
0: Yes. Yes, this is his son.
1: Well, they brought so much light and, and love to the world. And, you know, I hope his music continues to just expand and his success to get... Greater and greater, because we need all the joy and love and light and optimism that we can possibly get, especially in the political climate that we seem to be waking to up to every morning.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I'll tell you what, in regards to this, but I don't want to forget this. I hope you don't mind my putting in your little package of thank yous uh, a guitar pick uh, from his dad. Uh, no. Yes. Uh, no,
1: that's like too precious
0: no, 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 this is this is this was made by his family, but he didn't play with it you're right, I could buy a house with,
1: <laughs> with oh a, my gosh well that, what honor you know, I might have to start playing the guitar
0: <laughs> yes, you're gonna have to play the guitar. We'll get you together with Ziggy because I think he would just love learning this material uh you know it's really important for people that that like to stay ahead of things. And and he does. He's a great leader. We got time out here on the playing field with Tricia McCannon. And we'll get back to uh, some other important questions I need to ask. And this is what uh, you can check, bone up on during this time. Who is the thrice greatest Hermes? We'll be right back with Tricia McCannon. Jesus, the explosive story of the 30 lost years and the Ancient Mystery Religions Hampton Roads Publishing. Visit Trish's website for more info on her books and readings and talks.
1: Hi, this is Dr. Jean Shinoda Bolin. I am a Jungian analyst, an author, and an advocate for a United Nations, this NGO, World Conference on Women, and the author of Goddesses in Every Woman and Like a Tree. And I've just been interviewed on 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and we have covered the waterfront from contemporary to archetypal to activism to all kinds of things. I think you will enjoy the program. I can be found at wwwgeneboland.com.
0: Okay. Pretty exciting stuff as far as I'm concerned. Who is the thrice great Hermes?
1: Wow, what a great question, Bob. Um, you know, actually, Sos is one of my favorite uh, beings. Uh he um, was known as the god of wisdom in ancient Egypt. And then, of course, the Greeks uh, began to call him Hermes or uh, Hermes Trimajestus or thrice, thrice great Hermes. Uh, he was also known as Mercury, the messenger of the gods, the scribe of the gods. And it was said that he wrote over 42 – well, it said actually that he wrote over 365 books, but that there were um, – Forty-two we know of in the Library of Alexandria in northern Egypt at uh, the time uh, of Jesus and past that time because we know this from uh, the early Christian father, Clement of Alexandria, who talks about the 42 books that were written by those in the library. And they were on healing, law, um, architecture, mathematics, sacred geometry, herbs, um, astronomy, astrology, uh, magic, uh, theurgy, and three, theurgy is different from theology. Theology is kind of what they teach you when you go to seminary, and that's talking about God. Theurgy is making a direct connection with God or with the divine. So one's more of a mental exercise, and the other is more of a a heart-based spirit uh, um, encounter, let us say. And um, So those books were said to contain all the wisdom of the world. And as we know, you know, the early Christians burned them, and then later when they were, a lot of them were replaced or recopied, uh, or they had copies, the Muslims came in and burned them in the 600s. And so um, to my knowledge, we don't have those 700,000 scrolls and books that were so very, very important in terms of really recording a far more ancient history of the world than most of us think about or even mm-hmm. know about. You know,
0: yeah. I think
1: this was in large part by the Christian and the Muslim Church to try to rewrite history. And it, 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 from my point of view, it was like giving us a historical lobotomy. In truth, because you know that there was probably information on Lemuria and Atlantis, on these earlier ages of human civilizations, on um, the great spiritual masters. The probably the Anunnaki gods that visited the planet. I mean, so much information that we are only now just beginning to piece together in some kind of a a real timeline through the discoveries of some of the things I was talking about earlier. Um, Right now I'm putting together these um, amazing new presentations on the scientific evidence for uh, earlier advanced civilizations because we've found so much of it, like, in 300-million-year-old rock and yeah, a, a three-pronged yeah. plug. I'm not kidding, in a 400-million-year-old rock that geologists have said the rock grew around the plug. Yeah. So, I mean, either ETs were visiting and threw the garbage out the window, you know, mm-hmm. and <laughs> four million years ago, or, or else, you know, there's something else going on with our history yeah. that we have no real sense of. And we know anthropology kind of pushes... Homo sapiens back 200 to 300 thousand years ago. In fact, they've now found, like you remember with Lucy, the the female from South um, Africa, where they have um, traced the X chromosome of all living people to Lucy, who was like a, I think she was osteopithecus uh, about three three and three point three million years ago or something. But now they have a Y chromosome that they've managed to trace to men that they date back to about 270,000 years ago, saying that basically, you know, uh, Homo sapiens, as we know of them, and later Homo sapiens sapiens came around, we believe currently in anthropological circles, like, that came up about 40,000 years ago. So, But we could have a big conversation about this because actually this is one of the many fields of interest that I have where I'm really trying to look at the big picture and, and what I, how, I, how I have come to see how this fits together is that basically we are immortal souls. We have the spark of the divine within us. Some of us are more aware of it. Some of us are less aware of it. Some of us have uh, uh, clouded that spark of light and love and beauty through, you know, terrible conditioning or trauma uh, um, or not believing in ourselves or loving ourselves, uh, not realizing we're connected to the whole and acting in selfish, you know, a destructive manner. But ultimately, all of us are on a big journey, and that journey as you know, we descend into the lower world of time and space. We um, are playing, you know, we're, we're kind of every lifetime is a series of tests. Every single day, we have a choice of being angry or being kind. We have a choice of being impatient or being understanding, We have a choice of being destructive or being constructive. And um, so every day, every single day we get a new opportunity and we make slow but steady progress, hopefully, so that at the end of every lifetime we've learned something about love and kindness and and unity and and the divine within ourselves and within others. And uh, we come a little closer, lifetime after lifetime, step by step, to this, divine wisdom that jesus embodied so profoundly and that the whole thing about easter is that you know in the mystery schools they understood that the soul is immortal but because we have amnesia and the curtain is mostly closed for people and they actually deliberately induced out-of-body near-death experiences and just as people die now and then they come back from the dead and they report going to the other side and seeing these vast Cities of Light, and these angels, and these beautiful beings—they deliberately set up these um, deep initiation processes. Aside from all the teaching and all the other things they did to prepare the student, ultimately it was this theurgy experience where the person, through out-of-body soul travel, you know, near death, they literally had an experience themselves, where they went to the other side, they saw what it was like. They didn't have to take somebody's word for it. They could realize that they were immortal and that what we do in every lifetime matters. It matters in, in, not only in terms of who we affect in the third dimension, but it matters in terms of the consciousness we achieve so that when we die, we go to these various levels based on our consciousness. And also, it affects the next lifetime when we come back because you know we can't suddenly go from being an asshole, forgive the French, on radio, to being, you know, a a master in one lifetime. It's a journey of of spiritual unfoldment and evolution that takes time. And so they understood this, the masters did, and this is what the great mystery schools were set up for. And Hermes actually began all of these mystery schools because even though he was one of the Anunnaki gods who, you know, lived for 400,000 years or 500,000 or, I mean, you know, one year on their planet was 3,600 of our years. So if they lived a 100 of their years, that's 360,000 of our years, which is mind-blowing to us. I mean, it's hard for us to even conceive of that. And then they took, you know, the soma or the nectar from the tree of life, which doubled their lifespan. So on their planet, they lived about 750,000 years. That's three-quarters of a million years. So, you know, of course, they would appear through time. You know, we were living, you know, at one point, like Methuselah and Noah and Enoch. Those guys had very long lifespans. But, you know, even a thousand years is a drop in the bucket next to when you're talking about, you know, three-quarters of a million years. So the gods would appear from age to age, and they'd appear completely unchanged. So, you know, this is... uh, just because they were, you know, the gods with a little g doesn't mean they were completely enlightened. There were some that were just as secular and, you know, worldly-based as any human. And there are others that were spiritually uh, much more evolved, and they had, um, you know, tried to really embody this Christ consciousness. And certainly Thos was one of them, and Isis, who was his daughter, was one, and Horus, who was her son, and Thoth's grandson was one, Osiris was Isis's husband. He was one of those Christ beings. And as I talk about in the Jesus book, in my opinion, that was the same soul that incarnated as Jesus. And there's a lot of reasons that I say that. Um, The MO is the same, a being who comes to earth, who loves humanity, who travels and heals and teaches, who uh, brings light and joy to others, And who was taken out by the dark forces, and then through the power of love, uh, Isis uh, uh, is um, resurrected. And uh, and of course, what Jesus portrayed in the crucifixion and in the being coming, you know, rising from the dead was the immortal nature of the soul the fact that he played out this great mystery drama that had been played in secret within the mystery schools, that you could die and come back and be reborn. He played it out on the on the world stage in Jerusalem before some very dark forces. I mean, those Jewish patriarchs that wanted him taken out, the Roman uh, patriarchs that wanted him taken out. Uh, and, and, and so this was an, an incredible thing he did. And I have no doubt that he could have chosen not to do it. He could have not only chosen not to do it by staying in, you know, Persia and uh, India and Buddhist communities and the Druids and all these places, the Egyptian community where he was for seven years, all these places that knew him and saw him and loved him. But even in Jerusalem, he was um, psychically, spiritually aware enough that he could have simply avoided being caught or teleported himself or called in a bunch of angels to have moved him out of the harm's way but he deliberately chose that crucifixion in order to have that mystery drama play out and as he says over and over again, let those who have the ears to hear hear and let those that have the eyes to see see and this whenever he says that it is uh, he's speaking to the initiates he's speaking to people, who can pull back the veil of the mundane world, the exoteric, and see the deeper meaning about what it is, uh, that, that mystery drama of the crucifixion and the resurrection that we celebrate now 2,000 years later on Easter Day, what it really represented and how very important it was.
0: Whoa, boy, that was... <laughs> you really unloaded there, dear.
1: Well, I mean, as you know, this was the ancient celebration of the goddess of fertility, Astara. Astara, that's why we have the Easter bunny and the Easter eggs, which doesn't make sense from the Christian perspective uh, of, you know, burnt, you know, died on the cross. But it, it was the goddess of the cosmic egg, the goddess of spring, the one who birthed the new world, the new life, all the little baby animals and all the new plants and you know, she doesn't really have a shape, other than maybe like an egg, but it's the Divine Mother aspect that oversees the birth of the universe. And that's what Ostara was. And that's where we get estrus today oh, and Easter. you know, ovaries and all those <laughs> words derived from Ostara. And that's where we get Easter today, yeah. you know. Um, and um, so, you know... That's the female aspect of the mother that births the world. Jesus is the other aspect of the one who is immortal, who dies for the, his love of humanity and for his willingness to undergo pain in the mortal world in order to make a point. And the point he was making was that we are all immortal and that our souls live on and that the spirit is greater than the flesh. Yep. That spirit trumps matter. So that's kind of a big point, don't you think?
0: Yes, obviously. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things I want to return to, because you brought up the divine feminine a couple of times, when we come back, we're going to take uh, our, no, not our final break, but our bottom break here. You note that we have largely lost the ability to achieve this integration and balance because our culture denigrates the divine feminine and I'd like to like you to go into explaining that for us, it's important we'll be back with our guest Tricia McCannon, Jesus the explosive story of the 30 lost years and ancient mystery religions Hampton Roads Publishing and you can visit her website at trishamccannon.com
1: Hi, I'm Rev. Dr. Karen Tate. I'm the author of Goddess Calling, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology and the radio show host of Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio on Blog Talk. My website is www.karentate.com. And you've been listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. I hope you'll read my books and discover why the spirituality of the Sacred Feminine is today's new liberation theology, setting us free from the domination and exploitation of patriarchy and how that patriarchy has kept women and men from achieving their fullest potential.
0: She must have been reading my mind. <laughs> We're in our last segment, and I'm sorry for that, because there, I've, I've got about 40 more questions. However, I'm going to try to concentrate on three more questions. And that is, uh, Tricia, they they are going to be, that's interesting that uh, we had this particular question here. Uh, Who, wait, oops, oops, oops. You know that there, that we are, have largely lost the ability to achieve this uh, integration and balance because our culture denigrates the divine feminine. And I want you to explain that. And then I'd love to try to get to who are the sons of God. Uh, friends, there's so much in this information, I mean, a book that you really need to get your hands on. And we might have time for one. we, You know, we didn't even get to, there are four canonical canical, uh, gospels, but there were many other gospels. We'll never get to touch on them, but this book does, such as the gospels of Thomas, Philip, Barnabas, Peter, uh, Mary and the book on Clement. I mean, this is just filled with information. We hardly covered, well, we covered a bit of it, but but you can only do so much in a limited two hours with all these commercials. So can we start with the divine feminine? Uh, and, uh, and because uh, culture denigrates the divine feminine, you know that we have largely lost the ability to achieve integration and balance. What can we do about this? And can you explain it?
1: Well first, I'd like to give a little historical context for this. This wasn't always so and and for in fact, one of the things I discovered in the research of my book is we have discovered through archaeology and anthropology that basically, for a lot of the first two hundred thousand years that Homo sapiens were down here on earth that we um, everyone observed that who gave birth was the feminine, the feminine of every species. And so who would have birthed the universe? Well, logically, naturally, it would be the divine mother. That makes sense cuz you know, you can see that's what nature tells us. So God or was considered the divine mother, and she was the the force that birthed everything, sustained life for everyone, and recycled everything once we die. It was the you know, the trinity, the divine trinity, and life had, you know, the maiden mother crone or the youth, the man, the sage. Everyone had this natural cycle, and death was part of it because they understood that we were immortal. And we see this even in the burial raves of uh, prehistoric man where they put people into the earth in a womb-like position, you know, with possessions preparing for the afterlife. Uh, so then what happened is, you know, uh, it became the Divine Mother and Father. Well, that makes sense, too, because, of course... We have a beautiful male aspect in the world and a beautiful female, and it's the joining of the two that creates life. And then it became the divine father, mother, daughter, and son. Uh, in other words, there's an aspect of the mother and father, or, or God, the one, that becomes, it splits itself into two as, as, the, as the force of uh, love and power, love and wisdom. And that uh, part remains in heaven. But then there are aspects of these divine, feminine, and masculine uh, forces that come to Earth, the sons and daughters of God. And they come down as fully enlightened beings who come to try to raise the consciousness of humanity. And I talk about them in my book about Jesus, and again, my, the other book, uh, The Return of the Divine Sophia, which is the second book kind of in this series, um, where we're really discussing the discovery of this archaeology and anthropology and this bigger picture that's supported by history that most people don't know a lot about because, as you said, the patriarchy had suppressed it. So we went on pretty well during that period where it was the divine father, mother, daughter, and son, and, in fact, we did not have war for thousands of years, thousands of peaceful civilizations that didn't have to have war. Well, then the patriarchy decided they wanted power, And everybody else had to bow to them. So they set out to get rid of the mother, the daughter, and the son. And they basically did about, you know, the better part, about 3,000 years ago. And we had war, 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 and more war starting from, you know, actually probably about 4,000 years ago. From about the beginning of the age of Aries, it became very conflictual, lots of wars all over, you know, Assyria, Babylon, the Hebrews, Egypt, Persia, everyone was fighting for uh, 2,000 years. And um, then uh, we got the son back with Christianity 2,000 years ago, but we never really got the mother and the daughter back. I mean, yes, we know about Mary, the mother, but the Catholic Church makes a very important point of saying, well, she wasn't really divine. She just lent her womb for the Son of God to be born. So don't anybody think she was special? i By <laughs> the, the fact that Mary has appeared, <laughs> over 250 apparitions of Mary, the people have seen <laughs> miracles, statues crying, I mean, amazing things with Mary, okay? Yeah. Because, of course, she sees the suffering of the world. And so she was our aspect of the Divine Feminine that was left to us but then the catholic church kind of made her into the obedient virgin no she was never allowed to have sex after jesus no she she couldn't have any brothers and sisters even though we learn in the bible that he does have brothers and and sisters yeah and so um and we find this in some of the other texts too he had quite a few brothers and sisters although he was the oldest and and then uh... we wind up um... losing the daughter altogether She's shoved under the rug and no one even thinks to ask that there is a daughter. So, of course, poor little Mary Magdalene, <laughs> the daughter, Sophia, got turned into a prostitute. And if she wasn't. The reason we think that is because, in I think it was 591 A.D., Pope Gregory, in his 33 homily, said something like, basically, where did she get that expensive ointment that she used to anoint our Lord? Clearly, she must have gotten it by perfuming her body with forbidden acts of the flesh. So that is, like, complete conjure that he made that up. He made it up. I mean, purely made it up, and then the patriarchy took it and just kind of ran with it because it suited their agenda. And, of course, there are people who have done other levels of research where they kind of showed literally that, Mary and Jesus, it looks like, had one child and could have had two or even three, that there was a lineage of Merovingian kings that was um, throughout France. Most of them were very peaceful, high-consciousness beings who um, would have, a let us say, a, a war counselor, although the, they themselves weren't warriors. But some of them did become strong as warriors. They united a lot of France and um, Spain, in that area, and this was extremely threatening to the Catholic Church. So um, the work uh, from the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail that I think came out in the 70s, 1975, I believe, by three authors, that book really uh, takes a serious look at what that very Vengean lineage was, that the Catholic Church basically went up and made a deal with them saying, look, you know, there were 23 sects of Christianity at that point, if you will support our version of Christianity, we will support the lineage of Jesus in perpetuity forever and ever. And, of course, they lied because they just wanted to get the power. And so the Merovingians said, okay. And so, you know, a couple of hundred years later, they had a full-scale massacre of all the men, forced the women to marry into the usurper line, uh, and that's kind of who then began to take power in, in Europe because... because the catholic church was all behind that and uh all this has been heavily covered up and of course it was political it was monetary it was social it was control and you know you really have to dig to find this stuff but you can find it and it's good that it's coming out um because there was just a um a whole twisting of the of the real teachings of jesus like For example, St. Augustine. Oh, my goodness, what a piece of work he was. Oh. Uh, I mean, he taught that we are damned from the time we're born (laughs) because our parents had sex.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) We're damned, and the only cure is Christianity. And, of course, that was really because he himself had a very rambunctious sexual libido, ran around and partied and had sex with lots of people, and his mother was Christian and made him feel so guilty that when he converted after having an affair with with somebody for 13 years, he got engaged to a 12-year-old. Oh, yeah, Yeah. that's really... Yes. You know, in order to assuage his conscience, a virgin, 12, okay? I mean, what a piece of work. And uh, After that, two popes ratified it. So... You know, the, the conversation about the great mysteries and the great sons of God and who they were and what they really taught is such a big conversation that I had to kind of put it in two books. Mm-hmm. So the one on Jesus, you know, you can just look up Trisha McCann and Jesus, and, of course, you can get it from my website or Amazon. And then, and, and then the Sophia book is a whole other piece to that where we are looking at the – how the divine feminine i mean the women used to be able to um own property um if their husbands died they could keep the house well this became you know untenable to the catholic church they wound up deciding you know here they'd send the boys off in battle kill the sons kill the kill the husbands through war and battles uh religious battles and then the wife would be turned out and and this is where the whole story of the the witches or the crones gathering twigs in the forest to survive they felt so guilty because these they basically the church wanted the property and that's the same thing too with the ministers in the beginning all the ministers they could get married no problem but then guess what they left their homes to their children and their wife when they died the church wanted that property so they changed the rules and so you know it's they they it's gotten out of balance and it's very sad because even a, somebody who is a priest or a minister has the right to have the closeness and warmth and love and intimacy of a wife or a husband and a, and a family. And to try to impose something other than that creates the sort of twist in the field that we've seen where these Catholic priests have been accused of pedophilia and things like that. Uh, because, you know, their options for getting some kind of sexual contact were Cut off from adults, so you know they picked uh, children, which was even more horrible. So you know they need to recorrect that, so that you know both men and women, uh, who all have you know soul has no gender, we've all been men and women, both can serve in spiritual capacities, um, and we can come more into balance. And men and women both should be allowed to love God, serve the divine but also have a full life uh, that it remains in balance. Does that make
0: sense to you? Absolutely, because that's why we have the imbalance and why these crazy things happen. Right. Uh, that men, men can't control themselves, so therefore they have to punish the woman because, of course, it's all her fault. I, I have heard that a billion times, and it's truly amazing. And, there, you know, even even especially everyone knows... About Fox Network, if you haven't read the New York Times and what is going on over on the Fox Network, it's just amazing. Zoe and I worked for the Fox at one time. We quit when we found out what was going on, uh, all the hidden sides of it, which is now out in the open, and the and the and the <laughs> the demands for sexual uh, experience with those who are talking on the well. Uh, uh, having their own shows where this has just been happening again for the fourth or fifth time. I think
1: this all came out when I was in New York city. And so I'm a a little bit behind with it. But if I remember, there's a very popular uh, host that there are all these like dozens and dozens of women that have come forward and said he sexually accosted them. And you know what? All they're interested in is the ratings. So it's like, they're not even here's supposedly a Christian run station that's not even going to, like, you know, give him a slap on the hand or fire him, uh, even though he's obviously, uh, you know, run by his lowest chakras and not with the women's permission. I that's, mean, he's, yeah. he's, you know, there, there are people who are rapists and they should go to jail and they certainly certainly shouldn't be having, you know, uh, high rating talk shows uh, where they're spewing their particular level of um, uh, venom into the world.
0: Absolutely. You know,
1: it's just it's not good. I can't remember. What's the name of the guy? Oh, uh,
0: Right now, was it the guy Bill O'Reilly or was it?
1: Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, a, the O'Reilly. A, there's a, there,
0: before him, it was Iken Ailes. Oh, yeah, Ailes. And before that, there was someone else. And they hid all of this information for all this time. And uh, And most of the people that just listen to Fox never get the whole story. They never do because it's not given, and that is very unfortunate. We're we're almost out of time here. What would you like to read with our listeners at this time?
1: Well, first off, thank you for having me on, and we have to do it again, Bob. And for those that are interested in learning more about the Mystery Schools or the Lost Years of Jesus or his teachings or or the Divine Feminine, I would definitely say go to my website, TriciaMcCannonSpeaks.com or TriciaMcCannon.com, Uh, You can also, you'll find the books there, and you can order them from me, along with a bunch of DVDs. You can look at the Mystery School. There's a lot of cool stuff on that site.
0: Oh, thank you. But we're looking forward to your book on angels and what that means in the future. Thank you for joining us, Tricia McCannon. And that's the end of the hour. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus & Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Kortner. I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus. And remember, shine your shoes and get a haircut.